in here. Take good notes today. This series is gonna series is gonna be so good for you. I tell you this often. One of my one of my main roles as your pastor is to sort of you know ask God, God, what do you want? How how would you want to speak to this church and the people who call this church home? And what are the things that are important to you? And what are the things that are important to them so that I can sort of lead you on different, you know, different paths. That's why we mainly preach inside of a series. I want to lead you on different paths so that I can sort of feed you from God's Word in those different paths. And this summer we're going to have a special summer, summer in God's Word. I'm going to preach specific book studies. Actually, we'll dive pretty deep in a couple of studies. In the month of June, we're talking about the book of Daniel, all the men in the house. We're going to talk about sort of loving well, but standing strong in the balance of grace and truth and a culture that's sort of wayward. How do you stand up for what you believe, but do it with love and grace and not offensively? And so we'll sort of dive deep into Daniel and then in the New Testament, in the book of July. But on our way that way, I really felt like the beginning of the year when I began to plan my preaching calendar, actually the end of last year, I really felt like God talked to my heart about talking to you about living in the blessings of God in your life. And so I don't just want you to live an okay life. I don't want this church to be full of people that live a life that just barely gets by. You ever lived a time in your life where you feel like just getting out of bed was the win? Come on, everybody. And some days you didn't win. You know what I mean? Like just making it was a win. There's some seasons of your marriage. If you've been married very long, just staying married, just going home to her at night, that's the win. Come on, everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like I just stayed. You better be happy I stayed because I didn't want to during that season or, or like just barely making it through. And, and honestly, if you live long enough, those are sort of some seasons you'll live in every area, your relationships and your health. There's some times you just felt like, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to get well or get over this or get past this. I literally found myself last night Googling how long allergy season lasted in Central Texas. You understand what I'm telling you right now? I don't know if it's ever going to end. I was begging for the rapture last night. Just come, Lord Jesus. Take me away right now. If there's allergies in heaven, come on. That, there can't be. There can't be allergies in heaven. There's allergies in hell. There's just times you got to survive in your life. But I don't want this church to be a surviving church. I want you to be a thriving church. I want you to thrive in every area of your life. I want your marriage to th- I want people on your job to look at your marriage and get embarrassed. I want them to say, my God. What are you doing, Kevin? Why do y'all love each other so much? Something wrong. Y'all quit doing that in public. Something's wrong with y'all. I'd, not if you're single. If you're single, don't do that in public. I, I want you to have a marriage that's enviable. I want you to have, I want your kids to, uh, to be the envy of the school. I want people to talk about, man, that's an amazing, everything in their life is just, a, they got a great kids, they got great marriage. I want the blessing of God on your life. How many of you would, would be honest and say, I want the blessing of God on my life? Let me see your hand. If your hand's not up, something's wrong with you. Something is, I want you to be blessed in your health. I want you to be blessed in your marriage. I want you to be blessed on your jobs. I don't want you to just dread going to work every day. I don't want you to go in with your head down thinking, I got to get through this day. I just got to make it. I just, you know, we got to pay the bills. We got to eat. And so, you know, I got to go to this job. This is all I can find. I want you to thrive there. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy. I want you to live in the blessing of God. I want you to live with blessed children, not crazy children. Come on, somebody. Not children that that are disobeying. The Bible talks about in the last days. Children would be disobedient. Come on, how many of you know the Lord's coming soon? Where you at on that? 
Like, I, don't, I, I want your kids to be the end. I want people to go, man, that family prays together. And they eat dinner together every night. Not Whataburger. Like at home, around the table. And they pray together. And they read their Bible together. I want you to be blessed with joy and with contentment. I want you to, I want you to be happy. I actually want... The, the Bible talks about the Queen of Sheba. She goes to Solomon's palace. And Solomon has built this, the temple of God. And it's amazing. And his palace is amazing. It's actually the envy of the known world. And, and the Queen of Sheba from Egypt, she comes up to see this temple that Solomon has built to God and the palace that he lives in. And the Bible sort of gives this account of how she, you know, she, she literally faints. The Bible says she, she faints just looking at just the marvelous, the gold and the precious stone and all that. And then she says this amazing line that I use all the time in our team. She's telling Solomon sort of what's amazing about his temple, what's amazing about his palace, what's amazing about the temple of God. And she says this line that happy are your servants. I love that about, like that's a, it was noticeable to her that people actually want to get here. Like they actually want to be here. How many of you have ever gone to a church where it looked like people just had to go? They didn't want to go. Where are you at on that? Don't, if you, <laughs> yeah, some of you are like, I don't know if I can raise my hand. This may be it. I hope this is, <laughs> I hope this isn't that kind of church. I want this to be the kind of church you want to go to. Happy are the servants of the Lord in this. Like I want you to be happy about being here. I want you to live in joy. I don't want you to battle depression. And I'm not talking about chemical or you know, clinical, some stuff you need help for. But I do want you to come out of that and let God heal you and live in joy. I want you to have the blessing of God on your life. And I want you to have the blessing of God on your finances. Now here's the part that everybody sort of gets you know, so tense about. You, we, we love talking about the blessing of God in every area of our life except our money. But I'm going to talk about the blessing of God on your finances here. And I want everybody in the room, before we talk any further, take a real deep breath. Just deep breath. We're going to talk about money. So while you're breathing in and out, I'm going to say the word money over and over and over. Money, 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 so you don't get weird. We're going to talk about finances. And you can go ahead and relax because this is not the kind of church that puts pressure. As a matter of fact, write this down. God doesn't want something from you. This isn't a message or a series about something that I want from you. God does want something for you. The difference in this church and maybe any other church you've ever been in is I'm not interested in what I can get from you. I am interested in what God can do for you. And God is ultimately not interested in what He can get from you as it relates to your finances or any other area of your life. But he does want some things for you. And I think one of my jobs is to help you. One of the callings on my life is to help you realize all that God has for you, not that just what he wants from you. I grew up sort of thinking that I had, you know, God wanted some stuff, and I could never sort of live up for what he wanted from me. That there was always this list that I had to you know, continue to try to get you know, favor with God, and maybe I could buy God off, or maybe I could you know, pray enough, attend enough, give enough, do enough, serve enough. I could buy the favor of God in my life that he wanted something from me. The longer I live, the more I sort of awaken to the, to the truth of the Bible. It's that God doesn't want something from me. He wants something for me. He wants you to have a blessed life. He wants you to live in the blessings of God. And in order to have a blessed life, in order for you to live in the blessings of God, you're going to have to put what you've got in his hands so he can bless it. He cannot bless what he doesn't hold. He can't take responsibility for what isn't his. If you haven't put your, your relationship in God's hands, how can you ask God to bless your relationship? 
If you haven't put your marriage in God's hands, I tell married couples all the time, if you like this isn't going to work with just counseling, just books, just therapy. You need all of that. Every couple needs all of that. But it, it, that's not the only thing. It's only going to work when you go to God and give God your marriage. Then you can say, now God, I want you to bless my marriage because it's in His hands. Do you understand that logic? Everything that you want God to bless, you're going to have to give Him. Your career, you're going to have to give it to God. You're going to have to actually pray for your boss instead of cuss out your boss. Where you had on that? Like pray for him by name or her by name. You're going to have to actually like walk into their office and pray for them when they're not there. Because when they're there, they'll probably cuss at you. Pray for them when you get there early. You're going to have to actually ask God, God, what do you want me to do in this career? What do you want? There are people making career decisions in this room and on our team. And I said, look, we're just going to go to God. And God, we're going to give it to God and so God can bless it. But most of the time, I find people that ask me, why isn't God blessing my marriage? Or why isn't God blessing my career? Why haven't I, you know, where, where's the blessing of God in my life? And the first question I ask is, have you surrendered that thing to God? If you haven't put it in His hands, if you haven't put your decisions in His hands, most of the time when people come to a pastor, by the time you make it to my office, you're not really asking for opinion or advice. You're just asking for me to bless what it is you've already decided to do. That was hard. I didn't mean to be that hard. I didn't mean to punch you that hard on that one. <laughs> but, but it's the truth of the, it's the truth of the matter. Most of the time when people get to me, by that time it's like, Pastor, here's what I've decided to do. What do you think? Here's what I've decided to do. What do you think? I don't know what you're talking about. You've already decided to. And if you go to God with that, if you go, God, here's what I'm going to do. Would you bless that? God goes, that's not the way this works. I can't bless what you've already decided to do. I want you to put it in my hands and go, God, you bless this. And then you tell me which way to take. Everybody shout a big amen to that. Same thing's true with your money. God can't bless what you haven't put in your hands, what you haven't put inside of His hands. If you're holding on to it and you haven't gone to God and said, God, I need you to bless this. I'm not just talking about when you get in trouble. That's when people usually ask God to bless whatever dumb decision it is you've made. God, I bought some stuff I shouldn't have bought. God, you know Amazon, they make it too easy. Well, I don't know why they do that. God, honestly, I think Amazon's of the enemy right now. It's too easy. Sin's just become too easy. And I've overspent, so God, I need you to bless me with a new job. Well, you can't, you can't, it's too late to go to God and go, okay, God, I've made bad decisions. Can you bless and fix what I've messed up and and all of this? I'm not telling you God can't work it all out, but you may have to return some stuff. You know what I'm saying? You may have to leave some tags on some stuff where y'all had to leave it. Tags, y'all never worn anything and then took it back the next day. Y'all better not. You got to go to God first and say, God, here's my stuff. And, and some people say, man, this isn't spiritual. This isn't deep enough. Let me tell you something. I, what I'm preaching to you today in the next several weeks is, is probably one of the most life-altering things that can happen in your life. I really believe that. I think this is about as most spiritual as you can be when you learn how to trust God with every area of your life so that God can bless every area of your life. Sometimes religious people like spiritual language and spiritual stuff so that they don't have to make decisions like trusting God with my finances or trusting God with my marriage and so they say things like I'm praying about giving I'm just praying about it I don't know I'm praying I'm praying about serving pastor I've been some of y'all been praying for a year and a half about joining the dream team come on somebody this is a word from God from you get on the team everybody like now's the time you don't you, let's don't crowd spirituality into just lack of decision making and lack of trusting God let's just go to God and say God this is what matter of fact Jesus talked about the idea of your stuff and your finances and trusting God over and over and over and over. Because everybody is searching for blessing. 
Everybody. But from all of time, when Jesus is preaching on the earth, people are still looking for the same thing, the blessing of God, happiness. And God's Word is full of principles for living a blessed life. As a matter of fact, Jesus, the most famous sermon He ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the most famous sermon ever, found in Matthew, the fifth chapter, it starts like this, blessed is the man, or blessed are thee. And then it, and then it goes through this, you know, this list of this is how you live the blessed life. Blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the poor in spirit. And you understand, that, like blessing was a part... Blessing was a part of everything that he talked about is I want you to live in the blessings of God. And the truth of that, of that sermon and the truth of the Bible as it relates to your stuff and your possessions and what you do is so valuable. And we go everywhere else. And I want you to. I want you to go to Dave Ramsey. I want you to read Dave Ramsey. I want you to th- you know, think. I want you to go to your financial planner and advisor. I want you to go like everywhere you can get help. But I want to go to God's Word and say, God, I need you to bless what I've got. Amen, everybody? What do you have to say about what I have? One of the main areas of blessing in the Bible he talked about was your money and your stuff. Now, if you've been around City Hills any period of time, you know this. And if this is your first time, let me tell you. We do not play on your emotions. This is not that kind of church. We will never play on your emotions. We're never going to play a sad song and a sad story and show you a starving child on the screen so that you'll give. That's just not, I don't think it's, it's not our way. I don't think it's God's way. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that's God's way. We're never going to heart, so we're never going to manipulate you. It's not who I am. It's not who God is. We never put pressure on you. However, we do talk about money and finances and possession and stuff and what it means to be blessed and live in the blessed life because there's talk of money all throughout the Bible. And if I don't talk about it, I'm missing a large part of what the Bible talks about. Matter of fact, money or possessions or finances is mentioned 877 times in your Bible. 39 of, uh, of Jesus' parables, he tells 39 parables. Of those 39, 17 of the 39 are about money, finances, or your stuff. Because God knows you, and he knows me, and he knows that this is a big part of my life. And he knows that we can come to church on Sunday and be spiritual and say spiritual stuff and raise our hands and do all this, and then on Monday morning the bills are still there. And the pressures of life are still there. And he knows it's getting worse in light of social media. And you look around, you see everybody else, you see what they have and the house they have. And you're living in 1,500 square feet and they have a 1,500 square foot master bedroom. You're you're just renting. You've been renting 10 years and they've owned three or four in rental properties. You're, you're, you're comparing yourself, and what do I have, and why can't I, and what, what do they have, and you, you sort of have this conundrum that we're living in, so God talks about it all of the time, and if I don't talk about this subject with you, I'm going to ignore a huge part of the Bible, I'm going to ignore a huge part of what God wants for you, and honestly, the other reason I'm just going to be frank with you is I fear I'm going to, I'm going to be accountable to God one day, this is a pressure that some of you may not understand, that I'm going to be accountable to God one day about what it is I led you, how it is I led you, what it is I told you. How I preach to you. And I can't stand before God and go, God, I never talked about that thing because it made everybody nervous. I just didn't, I didn't want to talk about that. This is a God principle. And I really believe if you'll, if you'll grab a hold of the principles for the next couple of weeks, it'll change your life. It'll open up. Matter of fact, the Bible says it would open up the windows of heaven in your life. And God would pour out blessings on you that you could not contain. That's the kind of life I want you to have. It's the kind of life I want you to live inside of that blessed life. So here's, here's where we're going to start. Today, I'm going to start at the, at the basic, uh, you know, crux of this whole idea. 
So we can get all the other stuff out of the way. All that other stuff's important. All the other stuff I'm going to preach to you is important. All this stuff in God's Word is important. But if you don't get this right, you will miss this whole thing. As a matter of fact, if you don't get this right, your attitude about this series and this preaching will be wrong. And some of you sort of already have that, I don't know, just, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like talking about it. I don't know what to do, and I, don't, I feel odd. Let me tell you. I want you to get this part right so that the rest of what God's Word has to say about this will be right in your heart. And this is it. The heart of the matter, write this down. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter in living in the blessings of God and God blessing what you have, your stuff, your finances, and God blessing every area of your life. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of dollar signs or a checkbook. Or your relationship, or your marriage, or y'all just don't like him, or it's just about this, or I don't know, I don't want anybody's opinion. No, no, no. This is the heart of the matter. It's not about the thing. It's not about. It's not about your, you know, the money. It's not about the. The heart of the matter is a matter of your heart. It's about what's going on in your heart because everything in your life begins. It has its origin in your heart. Here's what the Bible says: Proverbs four and twenty three. It says, "Guard your heart above all else." Why? Because it determines the course of your life. Like how you feel about this and the blessing of God in your life, how you feel about that will determine the whole course of your life. And some of you would sort of look back over your life and if you were honest and had a moment of introspection where you looked back over your life and you said, man, how I viewed the blessing of God, what I had in my heart about this subject and, and maybe what you've heard or where you grew up or the, you know, the family you grew up in or the church you grew up in, it changed my heart so that it changed the course of my life. And now here I am not living in the blessing of God because of what came out of my heart. And I want to change your heart. I want God to, I want God to do something inside of your heart that would, that would settle some issues for you so that the rest of your life can be changed. Because out of, out of your heart, sort of everything else follows after that. Now, Jesus makes this sticky statement one day that is going to be sort of the, the idea that we'll talk about today. He makes this sticky statement that I love. You've heard it over and over about how, how we place all of our lives into the hands of God. How, this idea of generosity or giving or willingness to release every area of my life, my relationships, my career, my finances, my, everything to God's hand. And especially as it relates to finances, this is sort of the crux of it. Jesus makes this statement. You've heard it over and over, Matthew 6 and 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if everything in your life starts in your heart, the Bible says where your treasure is, the, where, whatever you, whatever's in your heart, the direction of your life, the course of your life follows that. And Jesus makes this sticky statement that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, I've heard so many people sort of mess this up. I've heard people misquote this all of my life and get this backwards. about your, They put heart first and then treasure. That's not the way the Bible says it. It's not the way Jesus meant it. He said that where your treasure goes, where your stuff is, that's where your heart is. I'm going to talk about your heart today because that's really where this whole thing starts. Our heart follows our treasure. If you want to know where your heart is, ask yourself where your treasure is. Where's my stuff? My heart was with my first car. Not the first car my mama bought me. The first car I bought, everybody, with my money. I worked at Winn-Dixie bagging groceries, hated my life. All after school till 11 o'clock at night. Every How many of y'all had a, a job in high school? Where y'all at? Nobody. There you go. Some of y'all married spoiled people, didn't have no jobs, whatever. 
I had a job, and I took that money, and I bought my first, I bought a Mazda MX-6 with a sunroof. It was two-door, and your boy picked up girls all the time in that Mazda. And I washed that joint. You hear me? I washed that joint, and I kept it clean. And I, it was, it, why? Because I valued it. My heart was with it. I hated the day it died on the side of the road, and it did die on the side of the road. I hated that day. Because my, I had put my treasure there and my heart was there. But the car my mama and daddy bought me, I didn't wash as much as the car I bought with my own money. I didn't care as much for it. You ever notice that to be true in your life? The stuff that you put your hard-earned money into, the stuff that you, you, know, that you value, that, there's a reason why. It's because your treasure's there and your heart follows your treasure, you may be thinking, that, you know, people are just after my money. This church is just after my money. This is all about, no, no, no. That's, it can't be further from the truth. But let me look at you in the eye. Look at me in the eye. And let, me, let me tell you this truthfully. God is after your heart. That's the truth. This church isn't after your money, but God is after your heart. And it just so happens that where your heart follows your treasure. That's just the principle. That's the way God designed you. That's just that's the, it's the principle, universal principle of your life. That wherever your treasure is, your heart tends to follow that. Your heart is connected to your wallet. It's like there's a rope between your heart and your wallet, everybody. How many of you feel physical pain when your wife goes shopping and you know that there's a rope attached for your heart and your wallet? Where are you at? Morgan, high five on that. But first hand up. That's what I'm talking about. It hurts. It physically hurts me. And this Christmas, because we, have two, because we have two babies this last Christmas, we did a lot by we, I use that loosely by Brandy, did a lot of Amazon shopping. Where y'all at on that? And so I, the pain was deeper because I discovered it afterwards. There would be boxes just show up at the door and the, and the UPS guy would ring the doorbell and Brandy's eyes would light up and I would sink in my chair because I knew there's more Amazon boxes, aren't there? Yes, there are. And we'd go and she'd open it. It was Christmas for a month for her just because Amazon came and she done, we, we, she'd spent what we'd budgeted. I'm not telling you we overspent that way. But it's, it's amazing what hurts, everybody. It's like my heart's connected to my debit card. You understand what I'm telling you? Your heart is connected to your treasure. And God's after your heart. Your heart is connected to your wallet. Your heart follows your treasure. Mitch didn't say that. City Hills didn't say that. God says that your heart is connected to your treasure. Shout a big amen to that, everybody. So if you put your money, your treasure, in God's kingdom, it's amazing what happens to your heart. So if you understand generosity to other people, it's amazing what happens to your heart. If you understand that, that uh, okay, if, if my heart's going to follow this and I want my heart to be for people, then my treasure goes for people and I'm generous with people. I'm, or or I, my heart, I want my heart to go for God's kingdom and building the kingdom of God here and around the world. Then my treasure goes first. It's amazing how my heart goes for that. If, whatever it is that you put your treasure in, your heart follows. And people can talk about priorities and, and values all they want to, but you really don't know where somebody's heart is until you see where they're putting their money. Shout amen to that, everybody. Because your heart follows your treasure. I tell engaged couples all the time, especially engaged girls, women, when I, when I meet with them and I talk about their husbands. And the, the first thing I tell them when they, I, you want to know what kind of person you're about to marry, look at their checkbook. 
Like, look, look at their checkbook register. If they don't keep one, that's the first sign. Not the right dude. Not the right dude for you. If they don't keep it somewhere, QuickBooks, I don't care. Because they'll tell you, oh, girl, I got it up here. He ain't got it up there. You hear me? He just keeps spending until the, till the debit card gets declined. And then it's over with. He ain't got it up here. There is no up here in any of that. I, go look at his checkbook. And you look at that. It, you you want to know what kind of person you're marrying? Look at him. Are there a lot of charges at the club? Come on, somebody. It's just going to get worse when you get married. Are there a lot of video game charges? Come on. He may tell you he's helping his mom out because she's in bad health. That's code word for I play video games in her basement. That's what that means. His mama ain't in bad health. He lives at home with his mama and he buys video games. Look at his money. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? Like you can tell them where they go. It, 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 I was going to say Krispy Kreme, but I don't want you to look at my checkbook. Krispy, like you, you just look at where you just look at you look at their life. You'll see what it is they value. It, because my heart follows my money, my treasure. My heart goes there. Those are the things I value. Those are the things I place high priority. It doesn't matter what I say with my mouth. It matters what I say with what I give to God. How it is I give. So how do I develop this heart for generosity? How do I develop this idea? What do I do to my heart? How do I make sure my heart's in the right position where God can bless the rest of my life? I'm glad that you asked. Let me give you four ways that God can bless your life. You can live the blessed life, live in the blessings of God, dependent on how your heart is. But way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter sort of tells us what we need to do. It kind of sets up this whole story. And God is telling this story about how you handle strangers and what you do with strangers, and he sort of sets this whole idea up. There's four heart principles I want you to take out of this, and then, and then we'll pray. Deuteronomy 15 and 7 says this. If there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not, you will not, heart, do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. There it is. So he's saying, I'm going to talk about how you live generous and how your heart can be a generous heart and how you can get out of this life of all about me and how you can live in the blessing of God. And it starts with your heart. And don't close your hand. This is interesting. Your heart and your hand are connected. Don't harden your heart and don't close your hand from your poor brother. Verse 8, rather be open-handed And freely lend them whatever they need. Be open-handed. And freely lend them whatever. Here's the first heart principle you're going to have to do. If you want to live in the blessing of God. If you want God to bless every area of your life. Here's the first heart heart principle you're going to have to have. Number one, write this down. Deal with your selfish heart. You're going to have to deal with your selfishness. The selfishness inside of your heart. Deuteronomy 15 and 9. It keeps going like this. It says, be careful not to harbor the... This wicked thought that in the seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near so that, you, so that you don't show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Let me explain this to you, this top part. Every seven years, it, and there was law in the nation of Israel that they would cancel all debts every seven years. How many of you still wish we lived right there? Where you at on that? Come on. Every seven years, it was called the year of Jubilee, and all debts were canceled, all slaves were free, all prisoners were freed in the year of Jubilee. As a matter of fact, just a little side end time prophecy, 2018 is a year of Jubilee. Come on, everybody. This is everything set free in the year of Jubilee. All debts are paid. And so the, God looks at them and he knows their heart. And so he says this to them. He says, hey, by the way, I know what you're thinking. When you see needy people around you, you're going to think in your mind, well... In a couple of years, their debts will be forgiven. It'll be the year of Jubilee. I can't help them right now. It'll be all right, cuz. 
Just hold on a couple more years. Keep making them payments, and they're going to cancel your debt. That's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. God said, I know what you're thinking. It's like the first thing God knows your heart, and he goes, don't do that. Don't tell them. Don't do nothing just because you know that, that, that you know, the year of Jubilee is on the way. He said, they may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be. Now, this is when he gets serious, guilty of sin. That selfishness and a selfish heart is sin according to God's word. That there's this idea in God's economy that you're to live with an open hand to other people. That you are not to take everything that you've got as yours. And you're not to look at other people who don't have what you have and selfishly say, well, they'll figure it out. There's programs to help them. I'm preaching good right now, better than you're amening. The government will feed them. You look in my eyes. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. You're an elephant or a donkey or it doesn't matter to me. Let me tell you what the Lamb's agenda is. The Lamb's agenda is that you and I are generous people. It's not Washington's problem. It's not, it's not the president. It's our problem. We have to live generous. Shout amen to that everybody because we will not be guilty of sin. And the difference in you and I in Washington D.C. is when we feed hungry people, we don't just give them a check. We do it in Jesus' name. When we give thirsty people water, we don't just dig a well. We put a church right beside the well so when they get a drink of water, they can find living water as well. Come on, everybody. Like, that's what God's called us. It's not anybody else's job. This is my candy stick. I'm getting anointed. Y'all don't even know what I'm preaching right now. It is not God's will for Oprah Winfrey and Bono to be the leading philanthropists of this world. It's God's will for you and I to feed and clothe and care for so that we are not guilty of sin. And we do it in Jesus' name. Shout amen to that, everybody. you got to deal with your selfish heart. God said, I know your heart. I know what you're going to do. You're going to say the year of Jubilee is coming. Do not do that. There's this area of selfishness, though, that exists in everybody. It, ex- it really exists. Ladies, let me tell you something. There's some selfishness inside your man that I don't know that he's ever going to get over with. It deals inside of me. For some reason, men do not share their food. Where are you at, all my men in the house? Don't come on my plate. I, I tell my wife all the time, Gray, I tell her all the time, I'll order you anything you want. I'll order you two things, what you want and what I got, but you will not get off my plate. How many of you like friends where you at on friends? Anybody like friends? Joey doesn't share food. Joey doesn't share food. We don't share food. I, I myself is like that. I'll buy you your own thing. Don't come over here. The other day I was in my car. I don't do, I'm bad about my kids. My little girl took a drink out of my drink. I said, baby, it's yours. Just take the whole thing. Daddy don't want it. I ain't trying to drink after you. I'll buy you something. I don't, I, don't be getting my stuff. I don't share food. You understand what I mean? Y'all pray for me on that. You got to deal with the selfishness in your life. Men, we got to repent. God says, I want you to be generous and gracious, not selfish. Let me me ask you a question. Why do you think God created giving and generosity? I read a study about the number one answer from a group of seminary students about the answer to this question why did God create giving? And this, this group of seminary students, their, their number one answer was to support God's work. That God created giving so that he could support his work. Now, let me, let me ask you an honest question. Do you really believe that God needs your money to do what he's going to do in the earth? No. Do you really think God's, God's up there worried about the light bill at churches around the world? I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, God. I don't know. Oh, me. He probably says, oh, me. I don't know what we're going to do. 
God said, God doesn't need your money to do what he's going to do. Giving was not designed by God. This principle was not designed by God so that he could pay the light bill. Or the, the Bible says he owned a cattle on a thousand hills. You know, listen, they're not dying off, everybody. You understand what I'm telling you? That's not what's happening. Giving was not created for God. Giving was created for you and I. Because nothing will take selfishness out of my heart. Nothing will work out selfishness like giving uh, what I have to somebody else. That, that God created giving so he could work selfishness out of you and out of me. God didn't create it for him. God doesn't need our money to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. It's unhealthy to ever think that God created giving so you could get something, so you could get blessed. Listen, I don't give so I can get. I Literally, I give so that I can drive selfishness out of my heart so that I'm not guilty of sin. I give so that I can, I put God first and I put everything else second so that I can, I tell my family, kids, we're going to put God first. Not because God needs what we've got, but because we need selfishness. We're going to live our lives for others. We're going to deal with our selfish heart. Shout amen to that, everybody. I got I to keep going. Y'all got me stirred up. Number two, you got to deal with a regretful heart. You got to deal with a selfish heart. And then you have to deal with a regretful heart. This is the crazy thing about the enemy. This kills me. Deuteronomy 15 and 10 says, You must certainly give to him. So he he goes on and he says, Don't be guilty of sin. Don't just pass him by. Give to him. Don't be selfish. But when you give to him, don't feel regret for doing so. Because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and everything you do. That's what I want for you so desperately. But you're going to have to deal with your regretful heart. The enemy, it's, it's, it's sad and it's kind of funny. The enemy, the enemy will, he will attack you with selfishness before you give and regret after you give. You ever done something for somebody else and then regretted it as soon as you did it? Let's be honest. You ever left a big tip and then walked out and think, oh my God, what did I just do? Oh my God. Baby, I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me right there. I am so, I don't know what I did. God says, you're going to have to deal with regret about that. You're going to have to deal with regret about that. If you can deal with selfishness and regret, the Bible says that because of dealing with those two things, that God can bless all your works and everything that you've done. The reason we regret after we give is because we had the misconception that it was ours to begin with. That you had the misconception that it, this was mine and I gave it away and now I regret that I have less than what I had before then. You, you think that what you have is yours. 1 Timothy 6 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in their wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everybody shout everything. It all belongs to Him anyway. You didn't get that job because you're so smart. You got that job because God gave you that job. You're not so smart because you just studied so hard. It's because God put that big old brain inside your big old dome. Come on, somebody. Like everything I have comes from God. If you don't live your life that way, you will live your life in sin. And God cannot bless selfishness and regret that way. But every time, I get, every time you open a paycheck up, every time you check online in your bank account, every time you walk in that 1,500 square foot rental apartment or that 15,000 square foot mansion on top of the hill in comfort, every time you walk somewhere, every time you look at something, Every time you put your clothes on, you go, I don't even own none of this. God gave me everything I've got. All of this is God. That car is God. These clothes belong. None of this is mine. God God gave me everything. Shout amen to that, everybody. When you view it as God's, it's easier to give it away. When you view it as yours, 
you have regret. What did I just do? When we tithe, when we go above and beyond our tithe, when we give to offering, when we, when, when we support missions, when we, get, when we do all of that sort of stuff, I don't want you to have regret when you do it. I don't want you to say, I'm doing this, but I don't know why I'm doing this. No, no, no. I'm just returning what belonged to God already His. When you view it that way, it's a whole lot easier to be generous. Shout amen to that. Number three, you've got to develop a generous heart. You've got you to deal with your selfishness and regret, and you've got to develop a generous heart. Deuteronomy 15 continues on. God's telling this story about how to live this life. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock. Not the worst, not the last, not the ugliest one you got. Come on, somebody. He didn't say give him the worst sheep, the, the one with the, you know, the broken leg that y'all call lucky. You know what I'm saying? Why don't you take him? No. He said, give him a generous gift from your flock, from your threshing floor and your wine press. Some of you, some of you just think, give him the sheep and let him go. He said, no, take him over there, get him something to eat. Take him over there, give him something from your wine press. And share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord God has blessed you. There it is again. You don't have to teach your kids how to be selfish. I've never had to teach my kids how to say the word mine. They're born, we're born saying, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. You ever had a neighbor kid come over and want to play with your kid? And your kid wants to play so bad until the neighbor kid wants to play with his toys. And then suddenly your kid punches him in the mouth. Maybe that's just mine. Because these are my toys. Yeah, I'm okay with you coming over this house. You can, you can come over here and eat my goldfish, but these are my toys. I'm going to need you not to touch my toys I'm going to need you not to come in my room acting like you own all this. These are mine. Give me my toys back. Some of us grow up, but a lot of us don't. This is all my stuff. I worked hard for this. I ain't doing nothing. I, this is mine. I, I, went, I worked 90 hours this week. I, did, I went to college. This is my stuff. Listen, this is not my stuff. This is God's stuff. He's blessed me with all of this stuff. I'm going to be generous and share everything I've got. When you wrestle with sharing what God's given you, God is asking you, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to mature enough to know this stuff isn't mine anyway? This belongs to God. And I'm going to be generous with what I've got. Henry, come play. Rescue him. Here's the last thing. Write this down and then we'll close our Bibles and pray. you got to develop a grateful heart. you got to develop a heart of generosity. But you got to develop a grateful heart. So the first couple are about dealing with what's going on in your heart. The selfishness, the, the regret that you feel when you give. Then you ask God, God, I want, a, I want a generous heart. I want to learn how to share what you've given me. And then a grateful heart. And honestly, I think this is the crux of the matter. I think if you'll understand the last one first, that it'll make everything else make sense. As a matter of fact, I think if you'll live your life this way, God can bless every area of your life. Your marriage, your finances, your health, your kids, your job, your career, your house. I think you can live the blessed life if you'll develop a grateful heart. You say, well, how do I do this? So, God keeps telling this story about this, you know, this stranger that comes in, this poor brother, he calls him, that comes into your midst and he talks about how you share with him and, and how you're kind to him and how you don't regret when you give him something, how you're generous with what you give. And then, he, and then he closes the story with this. Don't ever forget that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I'm giving you these commands today. Don't ever forget where God brought you from. 
Don't ever forget those days that you were lost without God. Don't ever forget those days that you were bound and struggling and your marriage was on the rocks. Don't ever forget those days that you woke up thinking about that drug and went to bed addicted to it. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget those days when you couldn't pay your rent. Your lights got cut off. If you'll develop a grateful heart, it's amazing what will happen to your heart. If you won't ever forget where God's brought you from. God, God brought me from a hyper-religious past. And, and I thank God for some of the principles that I grew up with. One of the principles I grew up with is this principle. I, I grew up, y'all listen to me. I grew up in churchy church and, and it was high church and it was suits and sweat. And, I mean, we went, we went in, everybody. I grew up watching people give their whole lives to the mission. I, I, I'll never forget one time in my ministry. This is a true story. I watched a man... I watched a man who had been remarkably blessed. I watched him write a $5 million check, a personal $5 million check, and weep as he gave it. Like, that's where I come from. The blessings of God are all over his life. And you know why? If you sat down with him today, he's 80 years old. He's an old man built it. He'd tell you, you don't know where I come from. You don't know what God's done for me. You don't know how good God's been to me. You don't know how amazing God has been in my life. God's given me everything. How could I be selfish? How could I not give to missions? He gave it so that, so that we could build churches and missions around the world. How could I not give? You don't know what God's done. I've seen miracles in my life. Y'all listen to me. I've seen miracles. I'm raising two miracles. How could I not how could I forget where God's brought me from? And if you'll never forget, you'll be able to live a blessed life. The truth is, you're more blessed than you know that you are or that you recognize. I just want you to live continually in this blessing of God. 